I wanted a career in which everything would matter. Because I'm motivated by something bigger than myself. So I joined the CIA. And now I help protect our families, our friends, and every fellow American. Here, my abilities contribute to our mission. Agency professionals have extraordinary integrity and exceptional talents. And every day, we do work that's incredibly important. Find out how everything you do in your career can impact our nation. Visit cia.gov slash careers to learn more and apply. What's up, guys? It's Chloe Culpepper, Marketing Coordinator for the Westwood Collective, and I'm here today at The Junction in Old Hilliard. The Junction in Old Hilliard offers flexible office space for all your small business needs, 24-7 co-working memberships, and affordable private offices with reservable conference rooms, daily refreshments, and shared amenities. Work, meet, network. Visit us at junction614.com. That's junction614.com to learn more. Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast. My name is Corby LaCroix, and the song you're hearing right now is called Great and Mighty One, available on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your music. But for now, here's your host and my friend, Aaron Conrad. All right, everybody, welcome back to Unscripted from my studios in O'Hillier. Corby, thank you for the introduction on audio as always. Um, I'm super excited today as always, but, uh, when this one, uh, was introduced to me, I, I could not pass this up, this opportunity, because I have a feeling we're going to really inspire a lot of people today with your story. Uh, my guest today has a full resume, a lot. There's a lot going on here. So let me just read off a few things very quickly. Uh, JT Jester is a author. Uh, and that's, we'll talk a lot about that today, I'm sure. But also, he is an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, podcaster. He's an inspirational speaker uh, based out of Grouse, Gross Point, Michigan. Uh, and if, as if that wasn't enough, he's also an experienced mountaineer, extreme skier, boater, hunter, and adventurer. And his life mission is to encourage people to uh, untether from the natural or self-imposed limitations and live full, passionate lives. Wow, that was a lot. Did I cover it all, JT? <laughs> That is awesome. Thank you, Aaron, for having me here. I'm so excited to be on your podcast here and uh, and uh, be with you. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you just tell our audience a little bit about you, just right off the, right off the gate. I, I can tell you a few things, and then you can probably unpack those a little bit more. Um, I know one of the more most powerful things was right away. Uh, by the time you you were th- three years old, you had spent yep. 250 days in the hospital. And you had endured 16 major surgeries by the time you were 16. And I'll let you take it from there and really kind of unpack that for us. So, so Aaron, um, when I was born, I was born with something called Bectoral Syndrome. And uh, in my book, No Bad Days, talks about my story, but other people's stories as well and how they've overcome adversity in life. And so my journey starts off, like you said, at birth. And, and, uh, and so Basically, what I was born with is vectoral syndrome is a syndrome that affects your GI system, your spinal cord, can be your kidneys, uh, your heart and wow. limbs, um, limb deformities and things like that. And so it has a, a, a broad spectrum of different things that are classified under vectoral syndrome, which is an acronym for the different birth defects. Well, for myself, I was born with just a few of these. And so I was very blessed um, to be, uh, you know where I am today and where, where I was then. And so for my journey, my parents, uh, 
were amazing and, and uh, they didn't know what they were getting into, but <laughs> they kept their faith and they stayed strong and they really persevered on, and, you know, uh, helping me in so many ways and the doctors too. So early on, the first part of uh, vectoral syndrome that needs to be taken care of for what I had was uh, the, uh, what they call tracheoesophageal fistulas. And so mm. I had endless pathways in my esophagus that didn't go anywhere specifically and were not connected correctly. Wow. And so from my airways to, uh, to my um, esophagus, those are things that needed to be corrected. Um, and then with that, I had what they call perforated anus. And this is uh, where you're born without an anus, and they have to eventually repair that. But for the first uh, few years of my life, I had a colostomy. Mm-hmm. And that colostomy was my way of um, going to the restroom. And uh, wow. and some, some would argue, I think my parents would argue that, you know what? It's actually easier than diapers sometimes. Right. I was, I was <laughs> just thinking that as an infant. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they, they kind of snaps on like somewhere around your waist, right? But I can't Correct. imagine for a toddler having to deal with yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, so that, um, you know, I had that for some time and then they hit, did what they fixed uh, the imperforated anus and uh, did the reversal of the colostomy and putting that back internally to me. And, uh, and then I did, um, a bowel management program every day is how I flush out my lower intestines. And, uh, and so that was my journey for a while was really working on, um, those 200 some days in a hospital were lots of medical surgeries and things like that. But it was also that bowel management program, figuring out what worked for my system and the different solutions that we put together to uh, create a clean, um, clean underwear at the end of the day, but clean, uh, <laughs> clean stomach and yeah. uh, clean me out. And so as that journey went on and I got older, other things popped up and, and surfaced. And so in the medical journey, the middle school years is when we started to realize I had a, a tethered spinal cord and Tethered spinal cord is uh, where your spinal cord attaches to your sacrum nerves. And so as you're growing, it's pulling on those nerves and causing different uh, discomforts and different things. Uh, I had loss of bladder control. I had a limp. And the limp is really where we started to see the issue. Hmm. And then as time went on, uh, the doctor said, you know, we need to really look and see if if you do have tethered spinal cord because it's something that goes along with vectoral syndrome. So – when they found out I did, um, we had a kind of a, well, it was emergency surgery to fix that in my middle school years. And, um, we flew to, uh, Cincinnati children's hospital and that's where the surgery was performed. And, uh, thanks to the good Lord, everything went very smoothly. So it came out of there and recovered. And then, uh, a few years later retethered. And this oh is something gosh. that's common and I'm actually retethered right now, but um, as you grow, uh, that's where the issues come about. So in those high school years, I was still growing, and so it caused nerve pain and things like that. So they had to do another surgery to reverse the tethered spinal cord. But right now, um, I'm retethered. But since I'm not growing anymore, we're yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Does it? So, do you deal with pain because of that? You know, the discomfort. I'd say. Um, okay. And I've dealt with pain before with it, but uh, definitely nowadays is, you know, occasional discomfort, but um, I'm blessed to be working full functioning and, uh, 
And with that, um, another aspect of the vectoral syndrome is the, uh, you know, like I was talking about the bowel management. And so talking about quality of life, mm-hmm. uh, I have been so blessed to have so many great doctors, but one doctor in particular performed a surgery called uh, the Malone procedure. And that is where they actually take your appendix, attach it to your belly button, and um, then to your large intestines. And so now I do my bowel management program through my belly button, and it gets a full clean flush and cuts the time from an hour and 15 minutes to 30 to 45 minutes. And uh, so it's it's unbelievable. And I can do it, you know, very simply. And, uh, and so it's been able to give me the ability to do a lot of things in life that would would not have been um plausible so yeah just to reiterate that you that's every day yeah so every day i do um my little uh treatment i call it <laughs> unbelievable so and i think i saw that in the video which we'll talk about kilimanjaro here yeah. um but uh, is that what was in the video in the iv yeah so that's exactly in the iv okay. bag um it goes into a catheter and that catheter goes into uh right catheterize myself through the belly button and uh perform it right there oh my gosh well we'll go so, yeah we'll get that we'll get to kilimanjaro but that I, now i understand what was happening in the video i actually thought it was related to just climbing i thought like that was a part of the the journey there yep. um yep. not only that once you got into school and i want to i want to say something very quickly because i just in case anybody missed it at the very beginning in our opening you are a mountaineer extreme skier boater hunter and adventurer <laughs> so uh, you know, everything you just explained, you've had every reason to not be any of those things. And I think, I don't think there's a person <laughs> in the world that would be like, oh man, come on, you know, you should be able to do this. Uh, unbelievable. So we'll get into that. But I also want to say when you got into school, you realized that you also had, uh, dyslexia and short-term memory. Is that yeah, correct as yeah. well? Yeah. So the medical journey really took precedence over everything. And that was our main focus, my parents' main focus. And, uh, was making sure those things worked. But as I got older, um, we started to notice that, uh, that I was struggling in school and, uh, and missing lots of school, obviously, because the medical was one thing, but this was a little different. This was definitely something else was going on. And so as we continued in our journey, um, my, uh, my school that I was at, uh, which is a great, great school and, and was a great spot for me, um, later on in life too. But, um, mm-hmm. but with that, I was going to school there and, and I had gotten to a point where, um, I was struggling so much. Like, for example, to give you perspective is I would go to, I would prefer not to go to dinner with, um, with friends or with their families and stuff, because first off, I couldn't read the menu. Second wow. off, I couldn't, tell the difference between a men's room and a women's bathroom uh, if it just had the word on it because I couldn't read. And so for me, that was very important, um, the bathroom. And so it created this, this, (laughs) and so it created this time that was really challenging um, because I wanted to be with friends, but I was a homebody in a way, or, you know, Mm -hmm. I was close to my parents because it was safe. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so um, that's how we realized that we needed to do something. And so uh, I was at a school that um, was a private school, and they, you know, was offering me a lot of help, um, and things weren't working. And unfortunately, a, 
a gentleman, uh, the headmaster of the school at the time, uh, approached me as a fifth grader and said, JT, this is many meetings with my parents and stuff were going on, but JT, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to come back to the school. And mm. the reason is because, you know, you're not keeping up with the other kids. Mm-hmm. And so as a fifth grader, I ran home and I remember laying on the on the kitchen floor and hitting the floor and, and crying and telling my mom, mom, all I want to be able to do is read and write like every other kid. Wow. And, uh, and so at that moment, my parents realized, first off, you know, what a challenging thing for a fifth grader to hear mm-hmm. and, and not my, not approach my parents first off. Um, but then from there, you know, they, my parents realized we needed to find something that worked. And so, um, we found a program in Denver and, uh, it's called Tatum. Well, now it's called Tatum reading, but it was called fast reading at the time. And Denver Academy, uh, offered this program and, I was fortunate enough to be able to go there and participate with Steve and his team and took me from being a non-reader to being, you know, uh, what I would say is much more successful reader now and, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and really been blessed with that. But, you know, I I talk about that headmaster and Mm -hmm. in life, we all have those naysayers that tell us, uh, you know, different things that we're not going to be able to achieve. Mm -hmm. And even that goes with my medical stuff, but we all have those people in our life. And, but sometimes like I look back at this opportunity because as an opportunity, because he told us this and if it wasn't for him, I would not be at the, uh, be able to do the things that I can do now because of being pushed to go do that. And so um, sometimes, you know, in our life, it might be a moment where we're like, this is terrible. Why is this happening? Right. Um, but then being able to look back and realize, well, look at what I've learned from this. And, and to go on to say that, um, I was homeschooled through middle school and then I came back in high school and I went to that school that told me I couldn't go there anymore. Now a new administration is there and was very accepting and really wanted to show that they had the ability to teach anyone and, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there's all different learning types. And so, yeah, so I think that, you know, being able to find the good and the bad sometimes is is always a a positive way to look at things. And I have a feeling that ties into your book a little bit, uh, if not maybe fully. Um, but, um, I have, I have a daughter that, uh, that is dyslexic. I, I don't know that I've ever been tested. Um, but you know, um, when I was in school, I thought I just wasn't very smart. Um, and everyone knows on this podcast what my scores were because I say them quite often. Um, you know, but I think at the same time, I, I know I have, you know, um, very similar traits to what my daughter, who has yeah. been uh, diagnosed with, as dyslexic. But, you know, she's amazing. And, uh, you know, now they get extra time for tests. And there's a lot of things exactly. that they do that when, when I was in school, they just didn't do it. You just struggled, you know, and, um, so that's, that's fascinating. And I, I'm, I'm just, was there any point, I think you kind of answered this already because, uh, but I, as you were talking, I was thinking, was there ever a point when you were just like enough, like I, I, you know, it's, it's, I've dealt with the medical totally. and now I've dealt with this and now I've dealt with this. I mean, uh, and I have a feeling it may tie into your book, but like, how did how, and I think you just touched on this a little bit, but how were you able to say, no, no bad days. Like, you know, yeah. with all of that, that we've just, and the reason why I think we went through all that is because I wanted people to understand this is who we're talking to. And I think everything we're going to talk about from, you know, moving forward is going to be very inspirational 
knowing that yeah. you, you have all of these things that you've been challenged with and yet here you are. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing is we all have our challenges. Like, right. like you said, your daughter, that's a challenge for her with the education path. And I don't know about you, but my dad would sit in a lot of my meetings. And at the time there wasn't a lot of diagnosis of dyslexia for, right. uh, for him and stuff. And so he'd sit in those meetings. He's like, that sounds a lot like me. That right. sounds a lot like me. Right. And, uh, and picking up on those things. Well, um, my dad is dyslexic, but he didn't really know it until later on in life. And, uh, and first off they say, you know, what is it? 70 some percent of entrepreneurs are dyslexic or ADD that. or ADHD. And so <laughs> Perfect. it's a uh, pretty, pretty cool. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's it, looking at the positive part of it again, right. Sure. And seeing that, but, um, but talking about, you know, the positivity and, and how we're all going to fall in life. We're all going to mm. have those challenges and the way, you know, no bad days. The book came about was this story of my dad coming into my room in the hospital and leaning over the bed and saying, now I was, I was a youngster and mm -hmm. he, uh, looked over the bed and he said, GT, you know, I I'm so sorry for what you're going through. And I turned to him, I said, dad, it's okay. There's no bad days. There's only hard days mm. and we get through them. And right. so, so I think like the biggest point is, is it's true. We're all going to have a hard day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, but every day is a blessing that we wake up and, uh, and can breathe the air around us and, and carry on. And so, um, another, you know, fact about just falling is, is, you know, we're going to fall in our faith. We're going to fall in our relationships. We're going to fall all around. Um, but being able to pick yourself back up is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, uh, in, in the book itself, you said this earlier too. It, it's not just you. It, there's you have interviewed other people. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah. So it's it's tons of stories of different people and uh, and about how they've fallen or how they've you know overcome adversity in life, um, or even like how um, people have said things and how they've been able to realize the good in what's going on. Mm -hmm. Wow. And especially in the times that we're in right now, because yeah. especially with social media and things like that, uh, everybody totally. can pretty much say whatever they want, especially behind the keyboard, it seems like. And, and uh, yeah. sometimes those words sting, um, you know, and, and that's uh, what what an incredible ability to be able to turn um, those types of things, whether it's the physical that we've talked about or even, you know, emotional or uh, verbal or the, any of those things that you've received and turn that into uh, uh, I love that concept that <laughs> I do. I really do. And it, it, uh, on those that will see the video, will see that you have this like glow about you. It's pretty amazing. Uh, it's not just like a, a book title. You can tell that you live this life. I mean, you have a joy about you. You see it in the videos on your YouTube channel, which has, did I read it right? Was it three over 3 million subscribers? Did I read that no, right? no, no. We're a few, th a few thousand subscribers, but we're, uh, we would love to be at that number. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read it quickly again. There's my dyslexia. I guess I, I read it very quickly, but I, it was a large number and I was very impressed by that. And you have great videos and content oh, um, as someone that does content. I, I really appreciated uh, your, your YouTube channel. It's fantastic. But um, back to the book, there's a few things that you talk about a couple of concepts and one of them is everybody's story matters. Can you yeah. touch on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, we all have a story to share and, uh, and, and it's so important that we do share it. Um, 
there's one one story I want to touch on in the book that I think that um, I don't know. It just really stands out to me because it relates to me a little bit too. Um, but uh, it, it's truly a story that matters because it, we all have that story. But this individual, um, I think, just highlights it so cool. So it's a lady who, uh, first off, it's a letter. It's a letter called A Trip to Holland. And this um, this trip to Holland, this lady is writing about her experience. And so she goes and she goes to go to Paris. She's so excited. She's always wanted to go. Bucket list item. Everyone's talked about it and everything. And so she gets on this plane. She has her clothes. She has her maps. She's got her itinerary of what she's going to do. And she takes off and she lands and the flight attendant gets on the intercom and says, welcome to Holland. And so she gets off the plane and as she's, you know, walking about, she's all flustered and upset. And she's just like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. Mm. And she's feeling that way. And she's, uh, you know, I don't have the right maps. I don't have the right itinerary, the right clothes, nothing. I don't have the language. Um, but then as time goes on, she's there and she's acquiring these things. You know, she's learning sort of where things are. She's getting those maps. She's getting the right clothes. And she starts to really love it. And she's like, wow, this is a beautiful place too. And so she gets back on that plane to go home after her trip and she lands. And as she gets off the plane and she's talking to friends and stuff, they're talking about how amazing and spectacular uh, Paris was. And, and she's, you know, in her head, she's like, that's awesome. I'm, she, she was very happy for them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she was so happy for herself because she had realized that, you know, even though it, 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 she went off course, she'd found the, the happiness that happened. And so it's relating to her story of her son, um, who was born, uh, autistic and, uh, and, or excuse me, down, down syndrome. And he, and he, um, he, you know, was, she was told at birth, you know, he won't be able to do this. He won't be able to do that. And, uh, I mean, to the point where they said she, you know, she should put him in a home that Mm. would support him. And she, uh, talks about how, you know, basically it's that trip. She, she expected a healthy baby and, 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 this just took her a different route, but the joy and the love and everything that she found within her child and what he was able to accomplish was incredible. She, uh, she happens to be a Sesame street writer. And so she's written for Sesame street for years. And so she wrote this letter and with this, um, she has had her son, um, act acting in a lot of different areas, but also acting on Sesame street and, doing a lot of cool things. And so, and he, uh, he lives on his own with, uh, with a couple of roommates that are, you know, in, um, you know, that are with him and, uh, and he lives a happy, amazing life with her and and his family. So that's, you know, a story in the book about, uh, looking at the good and, Mm -hmm. and realizing that there's good in, in everything and so much joy in everything that we, we do. And even in those, Hardest of times when you don't know what the outlook on life is going to be or the future, I should say, um, that it really can be so positive and, and, and so amazing in the end. Yeah. You had to have so much 
uh, it had to be so inspiring to, how did you find the people for the, cause it had to be so inspiring to meet these people yeah. and hear these stories that you now, thankfully, or have you consolidated and are sharing with the rest of us? Um, yeah. how, how was that process as far as finding the people and interviewing them and yeah, kind of thing? well the, the process was awesome. Um, this individual happened to be, uh, kind of within my life because of the story relating to my parents getting the letter mm-hmm. uh, from a nurse when I was young. Um, but, uh, you know, we still reached out to her and, and she was so willing to be a part of it. But uh, a lot of the individuals in the book have had, uh, you know, challenges in their own way and have overcome them. And some of them, um, some of them, it's it's their story that we've we've highlighted, and and some of them you would know um, very well, uh, like Tim Tebow and his story of overcoming uh, dyslexia and, right. and his push with that. And then others are people within my life, from awesome. medical physicians to uh, educators, and how they have either seen people um, in hard times or how themselves have uh, you know overcome things. So. Awesome. It's been really fun to to learn so much from others mm-hmm. and uh and to see stories that are just remarkable from you know and their outlook on life is remarkable and how they've gotten through it. I mean things that, you know, I could never imagine uh, of the challenges that they've been through. So Yeah. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> oh, I bet. I, you know, the, this very platform that we're on right now, uh, you know, that's how unscripted started was I it was I wanted to share stories of people that have inspired me that are friends of mine and it's you know, it's grown so to a place where I can be on with with someone like yourself and and share your story and and I'm inspired each time I do an episode. I don't know if anybody else is listening, but I know that uh I know I get uh inspired by these stories and the opportunities to meet people like yourself that just have incredible um, and incredible perspective. Hey everyone, my name is Cami Prannell and I'm the executive director for My Unscripted. We hope you are enjoying today's interview. My Unscripted is dedicated to helping others find their voice, passion, and follow their dreams. Our team can help create websites, apps, YouTube channels, podcasts, media, and social content. Whatever your passion and vision, we can help. Our good friend Manny Ahomi of Samaritan's Feet once said, make sure your dreams and goals are big enough to create room for others to join you. We've created room for you to join us too. Find out more at myunscripted.com. Now let's join Aaron for the second half of today's interview. Can you touch on finding your tribe a little bit? Totally. So um, for me early on, for some reason I was very comfortable with uh, – I think just because of my parents and things too, but I was comfortable with sharing what was going on in my life. Um, but one thing that I realized and, and learned was being able to share my story to people that I trust and, uh, and they would support me and help me. And so finding your tribe is a, it's a chapter in the book, mm-hmm. but it's also, it's it, the meaning behind it is, Finding those people that in the hardest of times are going to support you and carry you on or in the best times that are going to be there with you to celebrate too. And uh, and it's so important for us all to find that tribe and, and be able to share with them because what I've realized is opening up to people um, allows for them to open up with you. And mm-hmm. so you can really get to know someone. And, uh, and be there for them, which in return, they'll be there for you too. And so finding your tribe, you know, 
as my grandma always said, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, it's so true, you know, finding like-minded people, people that are excel in areas that you want to learn and grow in, um, is really important. That's awesome. Awesome. I love it. I love that concept of that. And, um, that, that you have found those things you, uh, you have traveled, uh, you know, you, you've done, you mentioned bucket list. You mentioned in the video that I yeah. watched as well. Uh, you've probably checked quite a few items off of that bucket list. And one of them was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, it's a fascinating video. Uh, if, if people get a chance, it's a, it's a top of your YouTube cha- you know, YouTube page. Yeah. Um, can you just talk about that? Because I've got questions. I mean, <laughs> when I watched that video, I had so many questions, but, uh, what a fascinating story and, and what in, so just, if you don't mind starting off, why, what, what made you want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro? Like, is that, yeah. what, what made that right, make it on your list? So, um, I guess that, you know, my biggest thing has been um, where I found the most joy and the most relaxation and the most ability to get away from the things in life that has caused me, um, you know, hardships and stuff Mm -hmm. has been in nature. And so for me, uh, going to nature, whether that's here in my backyard in Michigan or whether that's in the mountains in Colorado um, or Kilimanjaro, it's, it's always been about adventure and being able to do sports and things that take your mind off of what's going on around you. And so Colorado has been a place where I've been able to enjoy climbing. And with that, uh, a gentleman named Ladislav, who's a dear, dear friend of mine and very, uh, influential in my life and a mentor, he has taught me so much about the outdoors, whether that's, uh, you know, climbing mountains or ice climbing or skiing is actually how we started our relationship. And, uh, and then, you know, hunting and those kind of things too, he's really impacted me and taught me a lot. But what I've realized is that you can really focus on, um, what's going on. You know, when you're ice climbing every single stroke of, of your ice axe and, and crampons, is concentrating and, and you're focused on that. And so, um, it, it allows to relieve, you know, some of the stresses in life. But, but with that Kilimanjaro came about because he, me and him had been talking for a while of what is something that would be practical and impossible for me to do, but still a challenge. And so we came up with Kilimanjaro. And so on our trek to Kilimanjaro, we started training in Colorado and we had to figure out how I could do my medical procedure, um, on the mountain. And so, like I said earlier, I have that Malone procedure that allows it to be so much easier. Yeah. So once we, uh, figured out the way we're going to do it, we said, you know, we have to do it within four days. We have to summit in four days because that will give us, you know, First off, shortening up the time is less time away from the the bathroom and less medical supplies we have to bring. Um, and then also it set a, set a goal for us. And so that's what we chose to do. And uh, as we um, went to uh, Tanzania to go climb Kilimanjaro, we had an amazing team that we put together. And they seriously, you know, they call them porters in, in uh, Africa and then 
Mount Everest, they call them uh, uh, <laughs> uh, a different name for porters um, and stuff, but uh, Sherpas. And so okay. the, yeah. the, uh, these guides are just incredible what they did for us and stuff, and they don't get enough recognition. But, but this trek would be four days long. We get there, we set up, and we, we get to our first base camp, and I do my first treatment on the mountain, and it works great. Next day we go up higher and we get to another camp, do our treatment. Everything goes well. Well, the next day we'd be going to an elevation that I had never been right. and and never reached before. It was above 14,500 some feet. And so when we got to that point, I uh, started to get a little bit of altitude sickness. And mm-hmm. so we retract a little bit and what you do is you just sort of rest at that elevation or come down a little bit. And we did that and, uh, and, and the headaches went away and continued on. We get to our base camp. Now we're at 16,000 feet. So it's the highest I've ever done my treatment at and, uh, maybe one of the highest in the world. Um, and that's another story. We tried to, uh, get a Guinness world record for that, but (laughs) still awesome. (laughs) <laughs> so we get to that point and um, we do my treatment or I do my treatment and I'm doing it in the tent and stuff. And we realize, or I realized that it did not go as how it usually should go. And I was a little concerned, but we had to wake up at four in the morning. So it was like, let's get to bed. So we got to bed and um, from there we woke up at four in the morning and I still didn't feel perfect or totally like a full uh, clean out, but we headed up. And as we were going, we got to a section of um, ice or glacier ice that typically in this route, it's called Umbe route. It's the fastest ascending route. It's a single track. And at this point, it's you're climbing on your hands and feet um, in some sections. I mean, you're, you're pretty physical uh, as opposed to just a hike up the mountain. And so we had to cross this glacier section about 30 to 40 feet long with some scattered rocks through it, but we had to, you know, use the proper gear to get across. So as we're crossing it, um, I look between my legs and I'm like, this is, this, this is not a spot you want to be. And, and this is focus on getting across. I mean, from several thousand feet drops below us. And so we get across and our guide says to us, okay, there's no turning around now. We have to make it to the summit and go down the other side because this is, you know, too dangerous to come back or through. And plus it's too steep to descend as well. Mm-hmm. So we start going and, uh, and we're, we're making good progress and about 30, 40 an hour into it. Um, I start to realize I get what I call a hot stomach and my stomach is, all upset and and uh, and so what comes with that is what you can imagine. Right. Um, right. And uh, and so we continue on and that that diarrhea and that stuff caused me to get um, dehydrated, which mm. really increased and 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 made the altitude sickness come across even faster. And we uh, so we just had to keep pushing on. And so with that team is, I mean the. The team and the good Lord is the way we made up that mountain. Wow. And we got to a point where you could see the Kilimanjaro congratulations sign. Yeah. And uh, the adrenaline, the excitement, and all of the, uh, all of the above kicked in. And we, you know, 
what we thought was running, but we were probably just <laughs> fast walking right. um, to that sign and got our pictures and and uh, had an amazing experience and a spiritual experience too of just like, wow, this is an amazing accomplishment for me that I never thought I'd be able to do. And, uh, and so we headed down the mountain after that and um, the sickness all came back and, uh, and we titled it, I think, uh, throwing up with a smile because the whole <laughs> way down I was throwing up every couple hundred yards or oh, so, no. but, uh, but that smile is still sticking around cause it was amazing experience yeah. in, in what we just accomplished. Well, you, you just answered one of the questions I was going to ask you cause I, there's, there's so many I have, uh, I'll try to keep them there. <laughs> I'll try to keep it to a few, but, uh, the first one was how do you get down? I mean, I, you know, yeah. how, how do you get down? Do you, and how long does that take? Does that take four days as well or? No. So you can make it down within a day. Um, and so, uh, basically we went down a different route and this route, um, was kind of like a highway. It's the only other route up the mountain. Um, and it was, you know, a highway on the mountain was, you could stand two people, three people wide, hmm. maybe even four people in some areas. But, um, we made our way down and, uh, and you, you know, Kilimanjaro is a very frequented mountain. There's a lot of people that climb it every year. Um, and, and it's a very doable, successful mountain for many people. Um, and, uh, and that's, you know, you acclimatize and you do it, you know, through a procedure of that. Um, but on our route up, you know, we saw a handful of people, mm. but most nights, the three nights we slept on the mountain, um, we slept alone. It was just us on the mountain and our tents and our guides and our porters. And, uh, and that's cause we did this Umbe route. Well, this trail going down, um, allows for the other, uh, big amounts or majority of people to come up. And one thing that's kind of sad, but, um, it, it goes on, um, our guide was carrying this mesh bag and I kept asking him, you know, why do you have that? And he said, you know, this mountain provides for me and my family and oh. I want to take care of it. And it's to pick up the trash. Oh. And, uh, and I thought, wow, it's so cool, but there's no trash. <laughs> yeah. And so I think he picked up one or two things. And then on the way down, unfortunately it's, it's a pretty cluttered mountain, um, just from the amount of people and, and from rappers to Gatorade bottles to yeah. all sorts of things. And, you know, he's picking up as much of it as he can. And it's just, it's sad, but it's really cool to see that, you know, what he's doing to take care of what he provides for him and stuff. Right. And so the whole experience was, uh, unbelievable and, uh, really, really cool to be able to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that, you know, for all of us setting goals, whatever that goal is, is so important. Um, and for me, it was, I was blessed to be able to do that, but, um, you know, there's, many goals that we can all set and writing down that bucket list. I call it a bucket list, but right. writing down those things, you know, has been one way that I've been able to accomplish, you know, lots of things. Yeah. It's a daily routine or, or, um, you know, a, a different feat of doing a 5k, 10k, whatever it mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. It's important to be able to put them down on paper so you can see what you want to accomplish. Yeah. Well, and I, I think everybody's got their Kilimanjaro. I think, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, whether that's a, a 5k, a couch to a 5k or, 
climbing yeah. Kilimanjaro. I mean, there's a wide, pretty wide span in between totally. those two. But how long did you guys stay up at the top once you made it? Honestly, we were probably there for 30 minutes at the most. Um, really? We just sort of kept had to keep moving. Um, uh, yeah, we got our pictures and stuff and then headed uh, headed down. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like when we I, I when uh, we visited uh, the Grand Canyon, you, you're kind of like, yep, there it is. <laughs> and I know there's some things you can do there, but I, it was kind of like, well, you know, we we had taken this long drive to get there, and then when we got there, it's like, yep, there it is. So it's then we awesome. kind of moved on. You know, it was beautiful and all those things, but it was like, it's like, you know, there it is. We can see it. So that's that's amazing. Um, you one of the things that you talked about too was there's five different climate zones on the way up. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. It, yeah, you're going from rainforest to uh, desert to, you know, forest to desert to high alpine um, desert to alpine uh, de- like snow, you know, like and uh, just really, really wild changes in, in uh, temperature and climate and all that. So that brings so. me to my last question. How much weight were you carrying? Because you had yeah. to probably have heavy you know, you had your tents. I assume you, you take it all so, with you. So how much weight were you carrying? Yeah. So that's, I mean, this is where you look like a wimp. Um, the, uh, the porters carry so much of your gear Wow. and that's why I always am like, it's unbelievable what they do. Now for me, we had a couple extra porters because of the medical stuff that we had to bring. Right. Um, and I am so thankful for those guys because if it wasn't for them, it wouldn't have been doable. I mean, they, you know, we, we did have a backpack and we did have our gear. Um, and, and I can't remember the exact weight, but still a big majority, like our tents and, and some of my medical fluids and things like that, those, the, the porters helped us get up the mountain. So it's, they really are the heroes of the mountain and, they, you know, th- know that like the back of their hand just so well. You know, it's so funny because you probably have so many analogies that came from that that journey, <laughs> uh, literal journey, not just the, you know, the cliche word. Yeah. Um, and one of them, as you were talking, I'm just thinking we all need porters in our lives, right? I mean, we need people yep. that'll carry carry our stuff for us a little bit sometimes and uh, know the way. And I think you touched on it when we talked about your tribe, you know, trusting yeah. people uh, in our lives to be able to guide us even in, in truly dangerous situations. Um, and there's people that want to do that. So that's, that's just one analogy yeah. I can think of, but there's probably no, so many that you had, it, but that's a really good one because that moment that I was, you know, almost to the summit, I mean, we're to the point where we could see the sign. Um, I had my backpack, but I was really sick and, and, uh, and it was really challenging. And one of the guides turned to us now at this point, the, all the porters don't go to the summit. They, uh, you know, start heading down and packing up gear, but, uh, our two guides and one porter came with us. Um, and so at that po- point, um, Simon, our guide, you know, said, you know, let us take the backpack and, and, you know, it was, it was hard to give up that backpack. Yeah. But because I was like, well, I want to accomplish this all, you know, by myself, even with my backpack. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I gave him that backpack. And when I look back at it now, it's, you know, 
you're right. Like, you know, finding our tribe, being able to pick us back up when we fall mm-hmm. and, and move us forward is so important. Um, and it reminds me of another story of Lottie, the guy who I did Kilimanjaro with, but who also has introduced me to the outdoors. But that first day I met him, um, I had been skiing for years, but he was a ski coach and he came into our life and, uh, my family's life and, and, you know, changed my life in so many ways. But one of the stories was how he said, you know, JT, we're on a chairlift going up. He said, JT, we're going to learn to fall today. Now hmm. I'd been skiing and I, you know, knew how to ski and stuff. So I was like, this is kind of counterintuitive, but okay. And we get up there, we look over the ledge and he's like, okay, JT, we're going to fall to the left. We're going to fall to the right. And, uh, and so we're doing this and then I realized and I learned why he wanted to do this is because it really taught me, you know, first off how to perform in a, in when you are falling, how to, how to fall safely, but also how to try to prevent falling. Mm. And in life, you know, we need those people like those porters, like, right. right. like the teachers in our life, like the medical professionals in our life and like the friends, the best friends of our life, that tribe, those people, we need them to come. We need them there to help carry our backpack figuratively, you know, carry us through those hardships and really get us up the mountain. Yeah. And back down. (laughs) We're going to have our ups and downs. No. Uh, uh, Right. I mean, uh, right. Again, you know, and sometimes, oh gosh, I, I can think of a million things uh, off the top of my head right now, and I can't imagine. I didn't even climb it. <laughs> you know, I have the benefit of, <laughs> of listening to living through your story. Uh, but you know uh, how much harder the climb up is sometimes than it is, and how quickly we can go right back down. Uh, that's just another one that I just thought of. There's so many that yeah. you probably have as well from being there. But man, you are a fascinating fascinating story. Your, your life is a fascinating story. Um, even more than I knew before we got on here today, it is, it is, uh, what a blessing. Uh, Um, and I think there's many ways other people can follow you and, um, learn more about you. Obviously the book, uh, and the book, did the book just come out? Yeah. So no bad days just came out actually, a a week ago here, March 8th is when it came out. And, uh, and so it's been a fun, a journey, just being able to share these stories that are in it and uh, already the feedback that we've, I've heard from people and how they've enjoyed it. So it's been really fun, but yeah, you can, you can find the book anywhere books are sold. Um, and, uh, and so it's called no bad days, how to find joy in any circumstance. And then, uh, and then for, for finding out more about me and, and, and the, uh, book, JT Jester speaks on all social media and uh, our website, jtjester.com. jtjester.com. I will have those links in this post. Um, I am blessed to have a copy of the book and I can't wait to read it. Um, I, I got it uh, not in time to read it before we got on here today, but uh, I can't wait to read it. And especially after having spoken to you and, and heard your story, I really can't wait to dig into the book because I love other people's stories and getting lost in those. Um, I think we find so much inspiration for uh, all of us and whatever it is that we're walking through dealing with. Uh, there's somebody's got a story out there that can inspire us. Yeah, it's so true. You know, we all have to share our stories. We have to find that tribe to carry our, carry us on through our story. And we have to learn to fall 
and get back up. So right. thank you for Oh, absolutely. For this everything. has been an honor. I have one more question for you. What's next? Yeah. Because <laughs> I know you probably have a next. What's next? Oh, what's next? Um, <laughs> well, you spoke about the Grand Canyon, and I'm doing a – before that, I'm doing a paddleboard um, event, which is 61 miles of paddleboarding um, here in, in the Great Lakes here. So very excited about that. Wow. Uh, I did it last year to make sure it was possible in, in segments, and this year we're going to do it all as one. And, uh, and it's with a team of people too, that are doing it as well. Um, and then, uh, the grand Canyon, I'm doing something called rim to rim. So it's going from one side of the grand Canyon down through the Valley and back up the other side, uh, which, uh, I'm very excited about. Wow. Wow. You never stop, man. It's a, it's amazing. (laughs) And, uh, I can't wait to continue to follow your journey. Um, it mentioned podcast. Do you have a podcast as well? I do. Yeah. So, well, the, JT Jester speaks on YouTube okay. and right now all of our podcasts are on, on that. Awesome. Yeah. All right, so, man, yeah. you are, uh, you are fascinating. Uh, it's been a blessing talking to you today. You've, you've, you've spoken to me in many ways, uh, with your story and the things that you've shared. And, uh, I'm so thankful that you came on today and, and spent some time with us. Well, Aaron, thank you. And thank you for sharing your stories and, and so many other people because it truly is uh, impactful for so many. So thank you. Awesome. Well, I wish you nothing but the best. We'll be following along and I can't wait to dig into the book. So, uh, so again, you can get that book wherever books are sold and congratulations, by the way, you know, that's, I don't want to gloss over that. Writing a book, uh, is not an easy task. I I actually, spoiler alert, I have a, a, uh, what do they call it? A book proposal form on my desk right now. And I can't even bring myself to fill that out. And you wrote the whole book. <laughs> it's <so>. exciting. <laughs> it is exciting, it's but it's a daunting task. It's a scary <laughs> task. And uh, uh, I don't know that it'll ever get filled out, but it is sitting right next to me on my desk right now. So uh, that alone, congratulations on the launch of the book and everything that you've achieved. Well, thank you. And you too. All right. We will talk soon and uh, keep doing what you're doing. No bad thank days. You, right, <laughs> no bad you, days. Only that's, hard days. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Unscripted Podcast with your host, Aaron Conrad. Make sure to like, share, follow, and review on your favorite podcast platforms. Also, make sure to check out my song, Great and Mighty One, on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your music. We'll see you next time on Unscripted with Aaron Conrad. Unscripted.